Hello and welcome to Three Worlds podcast number nine. And today I'm going to talk a little bit more about shamanic journeying and uh, what it's for really, what you actually do with the beast. Last issue of the podcast, I talked a little bit about the three worlds and about um, actually journeying and I described a little bit about what my other worlds are like. And I talked a little bit about um, things like uh, soul retrieval, or at least I mentioned those things. So what I'm going to do really today is actually talk about those things in a little bit more detail. So first off, I'd like to talk about how I would get someone to actually begin to journey. Because it's all very well listening to uh, somebody rattling on about it or reading about it in a book or um, even being told about it. But it, it's a bit daunting to kind of know quite what to do. So this is this is the way that Jan and I tend to work with people when we are getting them to journey, when we're teaching a workshop or something like that. And what we would tend to do is, first off, we would describe the sorts of bits and pieces around journeying, which is a little bit like I did last time. And then we would probably drum for them and invite them to find a place for entry into the lower world. Not to actually journey to the lower world, but just simply to find a place that they felt comfortable in. Now, we would recommend that people found a place in reality. So I would talk to the circle first and I would say, think of a place maybe that you feel good about. Maybe it's a cave. Maybe it's a well. Uh, maybe it's uh, 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 an escalator down to the basement of a shop. Uh, we actually had we had one lady who uh, who worked with us recently who actually uh, used uh, the basement of Harrods as her entrance to the lower world. And it worked really well for her. That's absolutely fine. Whatever works for you, it doesn't matter. There is no kind of right or wrong way. It's got to be a place that you feel comfortable in, you feel safe in. First place that I ever had when I first started all this shenanigans years ago was uh, I know a village in um, mid Wales that is a complete ruin. It's uh, it's really at the top of a mountain and it was an old mining village and the road just went to the village and nowhere else. And uh, there were lots of ruined buildings around and right in the middle there was a mine shaft. It's just a hole in the ground. And I used to use that as my entrance for the first few years of journeying. And in my mind's eye, I would go there and when it was time to begin the journey, I would jump in. And that worked really well for me. That was good. Some people, that would totally freak. They would hate it. They wouldn't do it. So other suggestions that you might like to think about. Some people find little gaps down besides the roots of trees, tiny little gaps that go down the sides of the tree roots down into the ground, a rabbit hole or uh, a, a badger hole or anything like that, just any form of hole that goes into the ground that you feel good about. So we would get people in their mind's eye to go to that place while we drummed and to familiarise themselves with it. What does it feel like there? What does it look like there? What can you hear there? What does it smell like there? What time of day is it there? All sorts of questions like that. We tend to think, if you can't see it in your mind's eye, in inverted commas, then you're crap at visualising. And we forget that we've actually got lots and lots of other 
ways of experiencing and sensing the world. Now, I trained in, uh, in psychotherapy and, uh, and trance work like NLP, so I'm quite familiar with working in that way and encouraging people to experience it in lots of different ways. So I will actually say, what does it feel like there? What does your mouth taste like? What, what tastes do you have as you are there? What can you hear? Is it warm or cold there? Is it day or night? The more you do this and ask yourself these questions, the more you build it up in reality and you get a sense of it. So that journey would be quite a short journey. And then we would bring people back and we would talk about it with them and sort of get them to sort of see, you know, what they had experienced. And you will experience something. It's just that you may not notice it. If you come back from a journey and say nothing happened, well, that's bullshit. Something did happen. It's just that you are not tuned into it. I don't believe that nothing ever happens. It's just that you maybe didn't notice it. So we would encourage people to begin to notice, to explore their senses and fine tune them. So, OK, maybe we would do another journey and they would kind of just get to feel a little bit more about it and get it a bit more concrete for themselves. And then we would probably take them down to the lower world, not to do anything, not to interact with any spirits, not to try and get a power animal, not to try and make contact or do anything with anybody or anything down there. We would simply get them to go down there, have a very quick look around and then bring them back. And gradually we would do that more and more so that they got familiar with the swapping over from this reality to the other reality and Gradually, we would then begin to introduce them to other spirits down there. And one of the journeys would be that they would find an animal helper or a spirit helper in the form of an animal that wanted to help them to be their teacher, their mentor, and, in, and actually encourage people to make a relationship with that spirit. And uh, that's obviously a perfectly safe thing to do. It's what people have been doing shamanically for thousands and thousands of years and is the first basis of shamanism, really, in terms of working with the spirits. We tend to have those people who journey will be familiar with this. We have spirits that we work with for many years, quite often, and build up a deep relationship with them. And that is how we generally tend to find them. We go down to the lower world and we ask for the spirit to come to us in order to be a teacher and a mentor for us so that we can learn from it and it will encourage us and help us. And that's another thing that's important. When you're actually journeying, you need a clear intent. It's no good kind of having... Uh, well, my teacher talks about having a mission. You go with a clear mission. It's no good having a mission that's sort of, well, I think I might go down to the lower world today to kind of chill out a bit and see what happens and, and, and then see what... what possible ways it will have that can teach me about all sorts of things like maybe the rest of my life because you're going to get stuff but you're not going to know what the answer is because you haven't got the foggiest of what the question was so it's really important to go with a clear defined mission for instance i'm journeying to the lower world to seek a spirit in the form of an animal that wishes to help me at this time. Or you could be even more specific, you could add that wishes to help me with X, whatever X is at this time. So that's very important. With any ceremony, 
with any magical work, with any shamanism, with anything like that, you need a clear intent. Intent is all. Okay, so we will say that uh, people have got their spirit animals and they've built up a relationship with them and they want to do some work with them, uh, either for themselves or other people. What sort of things can you do? Well, I guess most people have probably heard of soul retrieval. So let's just talk a little bit about that. In shamanism, the concept of illness is that part of your spirit, your energy field, if you like, your soul, at a point of trauma or because of illness or some sort of shock to the system, a little bit of it leaves you. It goes off. It says, I'm out of here. And it goes off and goes into another part of reality. And that leaves you depleted. And now when you're depleted, you have less energy and there's a gap in you. And so spirits of illness may come in. So the first part is the soul goes out, leaves you depleted, leaves you soul lost, leaves you unable to sort of maintain your own energy field. And therefore, you will get more susceptible to become ill and uh, lose energy that way. So maybe another spirit looks at you and says, hmm, nice home. Want to move in there? And it comes in. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's not a demon that's possessing you. It's just a spirit that actually wants somewhere kind of warm and cosy to live. And you've got a nice hole and it sees, just like Olympic crab, a nice nest. And it's going to move in. Now, you don't really want that. And it probably takes some of your energy because everything's got to live and it eats. So you're going to get a bit ill. You're going to get depleted. You're going to go along to your local neighborhood shaman. Your shaman's going to say, hmm, soul loss it is. And the shaman then, traditionally, is going to journey. He's going to or she is going to listen to the drum or have people drum for them and they're going to go out and they're going to find that little bit of soul. Now, there's different, different, different ways of dealing with that little bit of soul when they find it. Traditionally, shamans used to be quite, and probably are still, quite brutal. They would catch hold of that soul. Maybe they would catch hold of it in a net or they would put it in a box, or they would put it in a bag, or they would tie it to their drum, whatever. They would capture that soul, lasso it, bring it back, and then they would bring it back into middle world, into this reality rather, into ordinary reality, and they would blow it into you. They would blow it into the poor, sick, miserable person and return their soul to them. And that may work really well. It may work absolutely fine. It may drive out the spirit of the illness or there may not even be a spirit of illness. It may just plug the hole and the person will be whole again, if you'll excuse the pun. Now, that's that's a sort of classic soul retrieval. There's a bit more to it, of course. You have to be careful that the thing that you're bringing back really is the person's soul and you're not being tricked by a spirit that wants to have a, a free right to uh, use the poor, sick, miserable person's body as a nice home. Generally, that doesn't happen, but you have to be a bit careful. Sometimes 
that soul part hasn't gone off because it says, I'm out of here, I'm fed up with being in this person, I want to go off and have a holiday. Maybe it's been taken by somebody, or it's been generally more often the case, given away. Now, maybe someone has died. Maybe someone that you're really fond of has died. And so you feel sad and a bit of you goes away. A bit of you goes away with the dead person's soul. And when you when you do shamanic practice with people, you'll hear all sorts of stories. Here's a good one regarding that. Um, a client that uh, decided that when uh, it was their father who died and when their father died, they decided that they wanted to be with their father. So they put a picture of themselves inside the dead father's jacket while he lay in the coffin because it was a girl and she said, I always wanted to be with daddy. And so she did. And a bit of her soul left her. So in that case, you've got to go off. You've got to deal with this, find the bit of soul, maybe negotiate with the, the, the father spirit. Or maybe in that case, it was the girl spirit who just didn't want to leave her father. Negotiate with that spirit's and then bring that spirit back and give it into the body of the girl or the, the you know the poor sick miserable person that's sort of classic soul retrieval um sometimes this can be sort of multi-generational um it may be that you have to uh, go and deal with with stuff if it's a parent figure it may be that you have to go and deal with the spirit of the parent and maybe go and deal with their parent's spirit before you can actually then get them to release the child spirit to bring it back into ordinary reality. This is multi-level work, and it can be like United Nations diplomacy sometimes. Backwards and forwards, talking, you know, negotiating, sorting it all out, doing lots and lots of sort of ancestral healing before you can actually get that spirit back into the person's body where it came from. Now... Let's do another little bit about this. Maybe that person's spirit can't stay in the poor, sick, miserable person's body because the poor, sick, miserable person doesn't have enough energy to hold on to it. And the spirit says, I don't like being here anymore. No, it's no good. You tricked me. I came back into this body thinking it would be all right. And it's really not. I'm off again. And they go. And the spirit's gone again and the shaman will have to then journey again and bring it back. Now, that's not really going to work. So very often what you have to do is do what's called a power retrieval for the, uh, the poor, sick, miserable person. You will go down to the lower world. Generally, you will ask your spirits and the mission will be something like I am journeying for X, whoever X is, that's your client. I am journeying for X to retrieve power for them so that they can be more able to hold on to their soul when we return it. That's a bit long-winded. It's always better to have a shorter, snappier mission. But you get the impression with that. I would, if it was me, I'd probably hone that down to a, a more kind of uh, catchphrase or um, uh, kind of soundbite type mission that really encapsulated the intent but didn't waffle on for sentences. So in that case, I would go down. If it was me doing the journey, I would go down. I would meet my spirits. 
I would say, hi guys, we're down here. I need to get some power for X because, you know, they're not doing very well. And my spirits would take me off and they would find something that was a, a source of power, a gift of power for the poor, sick, miserable person. It could be anything. It could be a flower. It could be a glowing crystal. It could be anything. They would give it to me. I would know what it was. We would talk about it a little bit to make sure if there was anything else that needed to be done. I would then bring that back with me out of the spirit world and I would in physical ordinary reality blow that, literally put my mouth against the person and blow it into the poor sick miserable person to fill them up with power. And only at that point then, probably the next day or very soon afterwards, would I do the actual soul retrieval journey. Now, another possible complication is that the spirit's gone out of someone and something else has moved in. Now, that gets a little bit more complicated because you have to then, in that case, do what really amounts to an exorcism or perhaps a better, less sensational way of saying it is a depossession. Now, things that come into people are... They're generally spirits that just want a home. They can be malevolent sometimes, or at least ornery, difficult, cause trouble. But often or not, they're just in the wrong place. Just like my old gardening teacher at school said, a rose in a potato patch is a weed. And it's the same with spirits. So you have to get rid of them. And there's different ways of doing that. And I don't really think that it's probably appropriate to go into that in great depth at this time. But uh, that that's something that's a little bit more complicated. And then you're getting more into healing as well. And I think perhaps we'll talk about healing another time because that's such a big topic of conversation. So that's soul retrieval work. I might journey to ask spirits for information. I've already said that uh, as a tanker painter, as a painter of Tibetan tankers, the uh, religious paintings of Tibet, I will go and talk to my spirits about the iconography. Maybe I need to do some clearing work for someone's house. I'll go and journey to find out uh, what I need to do. And my spirits will often give me physical ceremonies and things to do in ordinary reality. And that may be simple stuff like uh, putting red cloths in each corner of the room or uh, going around the outside of the house with certain herbs or putting strange items like fur cones on the mantelpiece above the fireplace or anything. You don't know what they're going to give you to do. Um, and it often generally works remarkably well. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. But if you follow the instructions of your spirits, it's surprising. Well, it's not surprising, really. I wouldn't be doing this if it was surprising, I guess. But it's delightful. That's a better word. It's delightful to find out that Nine times out of ten, the wackiest things they tell you work and they will give you some wacky things. And that's part of the fun of it. And, uh, you know, they yank your chain, I guess, maybe sometimes like that. So you've just got to sort of go with it and say, OK, OK, so uh, I've got to put an ice cream cone in the middle of the table. Right. And it's got to be strawberry flavor and we've got to let it melt. Yeah, that's what you're telling me. And that's going to sort out this disturbance in the house. And they're going to say, uh-huh, yeah, you've got to do that. So you think, OK, you come back, you get your client to get an ice cream cone out of the freezer. You put it on the table, you let it melt. And the house settles down. <laughs> OK, to be fair, I've never, ever, ever 
being asked to put an ice cream cone on the table. But somebody might one day. Who knows? I have been asked to do some pretty strange things. Um, uh, I remember once having to uh, put lots and lots of um, hawthorn berries around uh, the, uh, the the fireplace in a house where a, a fairly disturbed teenager was living. And uh, the disturbed teenager came in and he was really coherent, congruent, had a good conversation with, with uh, the, the, the family and uh, you'd have just never believed it. These things happen. I mean, it was just kind of like, OK, fine. OK, yeah, we've got to put some hawthorn berries there. And you just go with it. You just have to trust it. So I might do that. If I wanted to journey to find something that I'd lost, I may go and ask. Um, I've got to say I'm not very good at that. I tried house hunting with that technique once. And the spirits gave me all sorts of sort of uh, houses to go and look for and directions of the compass to drive off in and see what I found and signs and signals and bits and pieces. And, and I have to say that was not a great success. But I think that was probably more me than the spirits. Uh, it's just not my kind of way of working. So I'm pretty crap at finding houses and I'm probably pretty crap at finding other things too. But some people will be really great at that and you can do that. You can go and ask your spirits about it and they will give you messages and they will sort things out for you. Psychopomp work. That's another whole area. That's working with the spirits of the dead and taking them to the land of the dead. That's amazing work really moving, really, really quite incredible. You kind of think it was creepy, you know, it's like, oh, don't want to work with spirits of dead people. It's not like that at all. It can be very moving. It can be really beautiful. I remember when I was doing my, my training with that, with my teacher, and uh, we uh, we were sort of invited to ask our spirits to find a spirit that needed to be taken to the land of the dead. And I was lying down while other people were drumming for me, beginning to do my journey, and I felt a real tug on the bottom of my trouser leg. And in my... Uh, well, I kind of ignored it, to be honest, and then it, it happened again and again. So in my mind's eye, I looked down at my feet, and there was the spirit of a little girl there. She was about seven or eight years old. And uh, my spirits kind of said, she's the spirit you've got to take. So I took her off to the land of the dead. Now, the land of the dead for me is kind of fairly gruesome place. And um, I have a, a, a sort of fierce guardian being uh, that, that sort of hangs around at the outside of it. And I was sort of saying to my spirits, come on, guys, this isn't very nice for this little girl to see. And so my spirits gave me an amazing teaching. They kept switching my reality with the little girl's reality and it was very 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 profound teaching for me so I would experience what she experienced and then I would come back into me and I would experience me and my reality so whereas I saw this fairly horrendous looking Tibetan wrathful being called Mahakala um, who uh, has a garland of, uh, of of severed heads in a necklace, and uh, you know he's a he's a pretty kind of fierce, unpleasant-looking kind of fanged creature. Totally benevolent. If you're into Tibetan Buddhism, you know about these things. Mahakala wouldn't hurt a fly, but uh, if looks could kill, he would obliterate you. Anyway, 
the little girl saw it as Pete's dragon. It was all kind of purple and splodgy and absolutely fine, no problems. And uh, that happened in lots and lots of different ways. So everything that was kind of horrendous, in inverted commas, in my reality, or what people would generally consider to be horrendous, in my lower world, land of the dead, she saw in a completely different way. It was very disorientating because about every 10 seconds I was flipping from her reality to my reality and it was really quite difficult. But it gave me the most amazing teachings about don't judge things from your own reality. So I took her down into the land of the dead and guardians from the land of the dead came out and took her away and looked after her. And uh, it was very moving. It, it often is very moving. It's one of the ways of working that I actually like very much. Um, I tend not to do too many soul retrievals, but I do a lot more work with people, um, in you know, dead people in that way. Psychopomp work, it's called. Uh, so that's another thing that you can do with journeying. And really, there's no limit to it. That's, that's just a few of the things that you can do. Probably talked enough now. We've had about half an hour or so. So uh, I think probably at this point I'm, I'll end it here. Uh, it's just a few ideas. I mean, you know, this isn't going to be a six-hour lecture. It's just a few ideas. I'll come back with another podcast in the next little while. We're getting very close to getting the next issue of the magazine ready, like I said at the beginning of this one. So uh, my time's going to be a bit precious over the next couple of weeks, but I'll try and squeeze one in. I'll also try and put up the next part of the uh, Sun Bear podcast that I put up a few episodes back. Um, it was a talk held in Gloucester in England, and uh, I put the first part up and I've got another part to go. So I'll put that up as a sort of extra one and people can download it if they're interested or not if they're not. Um... So once again, I'd invite you to go to the Sacred Hoop website. And uh, I would also invite you, if you'd like to, to have a look at my own website, which is nicholaswood.net. And uh, the website for this podcast is three, as in the number, threeworlds.co.uk. Um, you can email me, nick at sacredhoop.org. And... Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Um, there's so much more that we can talk about journeying. We'll come back to it at other times. I'd like to talk about healing, different ways of healing. I really want to talk about making offerings to the spirits. I want to talk about bundle making, making magical amulets and all that stuff. I want to talk about making and working with altars. There is stacks. And listen, if you've got ideas, if you've got things that you want to talk about, things that you'd like me to talk about, questions, all that sort of stuff, email me, nick at sacredhoop.org. Please, it's lovely to hear from you. And I will do my utmost to email you back. I'm getting a lot more emails now from this podcast, so I can't definitely swear to email everybody back because I get Oh, goodness. I probably get between 100 and 200 emails a day uh, from people all over the world for the magazine, for my own work, for this podcast, etc., etc. And I would spend all day just replying to emails and get nothing else done. But I will do my absolute best to email you back. And it's just fabulous to hear you. So I really appreciate you contacting me. I hope you have a good day. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Lots of blessings, and uh, I'll speak to you in a week or two. Thanks. Bye.